You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. So, let's pray for Mike, shall we? Send your hands out to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for Mike, for his heart to, uh, to preach your word, to dig into your word, Lord, and find out what you've got to say, both to him and to us. Lord, we pray this morning that, uh, that your Holy Spirit, that you will use his voice, use his words, uh, his thoughts to communicate truth to us this morning. Lord, we open our ears and we open our hearts to receive your word through Mike this morning. Lord, we pray that you'll, uh, you'll use what he preaches this morning to our benefit, uh, to challenge us, to grow us, um, to encourage us. And Lord, we, uh, we just invite you to do a work through us and uh, as a result of what Mike shares with us this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Got it. Cool. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here on on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there as well. So, as most of you are aware, I've been doing a series in faith for the past four weeks, uh, or four months actually, over the time I've been preaching. Um, but today, I, I actually want to leave that series behind and start a new one. Um, I'm going to move on to a series called The Characteristics and Attributes of God. So as, as some of you may remember last time, I talked about being grounded in Christ and being grounded, knowing what you're grounded in and being grounded in the one and only true King. And it's hard to be grounded in something that we don't fully understand. So I feel, as we go through this series of looking at the attributes of God, hopefully we'll gain a better understanding of who God is and his characteristics. So unfortunately today, for those who are hanging out for him, I didn't bring any Fredo frogs. Sorry, we might have to look into that next time. That's all right. So just, just a little bit of intro to this series. Some of the character, We're going to be looking at all the characteristics and the attributes of God. Just to name a few of them, because there are so many of them. Um, like God is holy, God is glorious, God is love, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is just, God is faithful, wise, God is all the omnis, there's about three or four omni, as in omnipresent, and all them. God is self-sufficient, God is infinite. As you can see, there's a lot of attributes to God, to God's character, and as we, as we'll find as we'll go through this series, a lot of them go hand in hand together. You can't have one without having the other. So we're going to do the best we can to individually look at each character, but along the way we're going to find that others come into that same character. I better get started, otherwise this series is going to be going on for many, many more Father's Days. So, so today I thought being Father's Day, as a representation of the Father's love, I thought it would be great to get into the characteristic of God is love. It's probably one of the best known as from Christians, but yet also the most misunderstood about God's love. So I think that's a good place to start. So the first scripture we're going to go to, so I love communion this morning because there's about four of my scriptures from my preaching there, so that's, that's always encouraging. So the first one we're going to go to is Ephesians 2.4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he lo- loved us. Sorry. Um, 
So this, in this verse, Paul states that God is rich in mercy. What happens to be another one of God's attributes? But, what we'll look at in the coming weeks. But, where does Paul say this mercy comes from? It's because of his great love or which he loved us. Paul talks about God's mercy flows, flows from his great love for us. Without his love for us, there may have never been mercy to begin with. But lucky for us, God loves us deeply. But why does God love us? Where does his great love come from? Where We can get great insight in the Old Testament of where God's love originated from. But first, a quote from John Piper. John Piper says, You can tell what a person loves by what he is devoted, devotes himself to most passionately. What a person values is most reflected in his actions and his motivations. So what is God passionately devoted to? And that is that his name is glorified. His love comes from his name being lifted above all other names, all through the history of the Israelites, from when God created their existence to the end of the Old Testament, God was moved by his great love, and that is that his name would be glorified. We are created to bring glory to God. So, Isaiah 43.7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created from my glory, whom I formed and I made. And then Isaiah 49.3 And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. If we look over the history of the Israelites, you can see God's work working to glorify his name in everything he does for them. Like when he brought Israel out of Egypt, as it says in Ezekiel 29. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived. In the sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And then in verse 14. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations in whose sight I brought them out. And then 2 Samuel 7.23 And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed by yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And then at the end of the Old Testament, when Israel had been uh, captured by Babylon, God says in Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. As we can see from these scriptures, God refrains from punishing the Israelites as they rightly deserved. For if he did that, that would diminish the display of his glory in showing compassion to the Israelites. In this verse it shows God's deepest motive and that is God would have the glory, which out of, which out of that motive flows love for his people. As Australians, we, um, we tend to have a bad attitude. It's called the tall poppy syndrome, where if someone builds themselves up, we like to bring them back down to, their le- to our level. And if you look at God's love through earthly eyes, you might think it's very selfish and prideful for God to love originate from the glorification of his name. 
but actually it's a very righteous for God to do this. As God's love didn't originate in Genesis 1-1, there was no need for his love outside the Trinity, a perfect Godhead. But the Bible does say we love because he first loved us. He chose to love us. For God not to love himself would be irrational because God's worth is infinite, making him and him alone worthy to receive infinite self-love and adoration from creation. It is impossible for God and for us to love God too much. As it is God valuing his full allegiance to the infinite value of his glory. Psalm 143.11 For the name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring my soul out of trouble. God would not be righteous if he stopped loving his own glory on which people put their hope in. God takes full delight in glory and beauty of his moral perfection. And when we understand this, we can see why he delights and loves a reflection of his glory and in his people. Looking back on what we have gone through, it is easy to see how God loves us so deeply and that through the glorification of his name. As we see with God's chosen people, by God's love for his own glory involves him having eternal commitment to people of Israel. Wouldn't it be easier and less painful for God just to glorify himself? But through God's glorifying himself, he shows his glory by choosing an undeserving people and blessing them with a sovereign freedom. And by God freely choosing to make a covenant with Israel. God's name is glorified by keeping that covenant, by maintaining a loving commitment to his people. Out of God's glorifying his name is where his great love comes from. That's, that's sort of what the Old Testament says, but what does the New Testament say about this? As we all heard this morning, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then Romans 5.8, But God showed his love to us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As we read these scriptures, it gives us great insight into God's love, that his love is not just great and everlasting, but God's plan to save us though through the death of Christ was planned out of righteousness and justice. It was God's love for his people that motivated the plan of Christ. The plan of Christ coming and dying for the unrighteous and undeserving and for the ones that were in willful rebellion to God and through Christ the unrighteous before God are made righteous, before him and saved from eternal death. And all through this is glorifying his name. It was God's love for his people that motivated it all. We can see relations between the Old and the New Testament that through his plans and everything God did for us was a loving commitment to his people, was driven by God's main motivation of glorifying his name. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, The Lord appeared to him from afar, far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. So in Jeremiah, we find that God's love is everlasting. It never fails. It's never failing. There's nothing in this world that can stop God from loving us. Even when we're still sinners, he loves you deeply. But we can only live in the fullness of God's love when we are saved through Christ, as it says in John 14:23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Then John 16:27. 
For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. To be able to live in the fullness of God's love, we need to accept Christ and all he has done for us. We need to love him unconditionally, allow him to change our lives. We were unrighteous in, in his eyes, but through Christ we are made righteous, which through this process of being born again will glorify the name of God, which we have learned is the motivation of love. We need to believe in Christ. We need to believe in Christ to live in the fullness of God's saving love. And when we believe in Christ, he, he is living in us, and we live in and we live in the fullness of God's love. There is nothing that can separate us from the fullness of his love. Romans 8, 31, 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How he not also with him gracious giving us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for the sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does this love look like? As we are all aware of the English language, there is only one word to describe love. In using that same word, I can love my wife, but at the same time, I can love bad food. There's a bit of a difference between the love for my wife and that love of the bad food, but yet we've only got the one word that describes them all. So using the English word love, it's hard to describe uh, the love of God and get the true concept of God's love. We have to go back to the Greek, which most of you would have heard before. There are four words in Greek describing love, all with a different meaning, and they are... Forgive me if I don't quite pronounce them right. I've tried numerously over the last couple of days to get them all right, but that's all right. (laughs) So the first one we find in the Greek is agape. This describes God's love. It's an infinite love. The next one is eros, described as a romantic love, as you love your wife. Phila is a a bond, so for your brother or sister love. And storage, or storge, yeah, that's the one I can never get right, is an empty bond between parents and kids. So agape appears in the Bible 259 times as describing love. Eros and storge don't. Phila, 54. As humans, before we know the love of Christ and before we are saved, we don't know how to operate in agape love. We operate in either eros, phila or storge. All different types of love. With humans, even the greatest version of our love is yet only a whisper of the pure and holy love of God. The difference between the four loves is very noticeable. This is a quote from Jen Wilkins. Agape love is an act of of will, an intelligent, purposeful attitude of esteem and devotion, a selfless, uh, 
purposeful, outgoing attitude that desires to do good to the one loved, where the other three are just an emotion that is experienced. So to help describe agape, I've got a video by the Bible Project that should give us a bit of insight on it. So if you could play that, that would be awesome, John. You probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachmah. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing. Nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, 
God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Thanks, John. So hopefully that, that video helped describe agape a bit better than what I could. Um, so agape is an infinite love. It's the love that gives us the ability to work in when we receive our faith. Agape is clearly a supernatural love and not something we can work in without God as it originates from God and is enabled by God. So how does God's love affect us? If we go to 1 John 4 to 7 to 21, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is from God, and whoever loves us has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the proportion of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfect, perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given, us, uh, he has given of us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this his love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also, are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. He who loves because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he ha- who he has seen, can't love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we must we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So how should God's love affect us and how and how we live our lives? I could do a whole other preach out of this, this passage, but I'll start to wrap it up and we'll look into it a bit more next time. But since one of God's attributes is love, as we read in the passage, this should become one of our main characteristics as Christians. We should be motivated by his love for us to not only love him wholeheartedly, but to love one another 
not with a human love, but an agape love. There's a strong warning in this passage about if we love God, but we don't love our brother, then God is not with them. As they can't love what is seen, then how can they possibly love wholeheartedly what is not seen? And as agape love is from God, which is unseen, we need to have that connection with God and it needs to be a strong connection before we can love each other with an agape love. We need to understand that agape love of the, of the Father to be able to love our brother and sisters in the same way. The love of God should change us in a way that we represent him. God's love for us... God's love, love for us is in the way that we live for him, demonstrating his love in the way that we live our lives. As we learned before, that the desire of God's heart is that his name be glorified and out of that comes his love for us. When we live our lives demonstrating God's love for us, it brings, people, brings people's attention to God's own heart. For, for through us, the glorification of his name. Although we are saved by faith and believing in Christ through we receive the Holy Spirit, through this process we go from being able to love something through our human love, eros, philos and storage, and to a place of knowing God's full agape love in our lives, which changes us to be able to love people through the way, that God, through the way we see God love us, allowing us to love people in an agape level of he first loved us. We need to be careful with God's love though. As, as in our own minds, we can allow ourselves to believe a sin that God's love is greater than all these other attributes. God is a God of many attributes. One doesn't cancel out another. We need to be careful that we don't overemphasize God's love as God is a just God and a righteous God. Just because God is love doesn't mean that he'll cancel out his justice and bring, and bring correction on someone in some way. He is a God, he is a just God just as much as he is a loving God. When we read in scripture God's way of disciplining the Israelites, it's the same way. Through our our eyes we can see it's unloving on God's behalf, like exiling the Israelites for 40 years of the promised land. But But when we see that, the problem is not in the way God acted, but in our perspective. And just because something bad happens doesn't mean God does not love you. Because his love is holy and infinite, what makes all his actions loving is when he withholds or refrains from doing something in in your life. It's all done in the love of God. That's why the Bible is so clear that life is hard and to follow Christ is to take up your cross daily. It's not an easy life, but when we understand that God does everything for us out of love and that nothing can separate us from God's love, we might not be able to understand why God does something, but when we understand that he is holy and just and loving, we are in a better place to understand each situation we go through and through God's love for us. It's been Father's Day. I won't hold you up too long. So in conclusion, God loves us with a great and everlasting love. His agape love for us that motivated the plan for Christ And the main driving point of his amazing love for us is to bring glorification to his name and make his name known among all nations. We are called to live in this love and represent God's agape love for us 
In the way we live and the way we treat one another, we should be motivated to live and represent the love that ultimately brings glory to God and his name. So I might just pray just to close. Father, we, we thank you for, for your love and your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are glory, Father, and you are just, Father, Lord. You are faithful, Lord, and we thank you for your characteristics and your attributes, Father. We thank you that you have mercy on us, Lord, and, and I just pray, Lord, that we'll be able to represent your, your amazing love, Father, for us to other people's lives, Lord, and, and help us to um, impact this nation for you. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.